Hey, there's this young girl named Charlotte Heffelmeyer, and the story I'm going to tell you happened a year ago during Thanksgiving. She lives in a small town called Vienna, Virginia, and Charlotte, I guess, at the time she was 19, so she was probably a freshman or sophomore in college. I know she had been away for college and came back and was home for the Thanksgiving break. Her dad was in the garage. He had a GMC truck, and he had put it up on a jack, and he was working on uh, changing out some corroded brakes. When the jack slipped and his truck fell on top of him and pinned him, and at the same time knocked over some gasoline in the garage that ignited a fire. Charlotte, who's a 19-year-old girl, happened to be, I guess, walking into the garage when that happened. And her story is one of those stories you've probably read before where in a moment of panic, in a moment of fear, adrenaline rushes in and superhuman strength happens. Charlotte, year old girl, goes over and lifts the truck up off of her dad. Now, the news report said, and I don't know how this happened, that she lifted the truck off of him and drug him out from underneath the truck. Now, I don't know how all that works or how it looked, but that's what the news report says. But then it gets even better. He gets out to safety. There's a wheel off of the truck. She gets inside the truck while it's on fire, puts it into four-wheel drive, and backs it out of the garage, leaving a, a divot all through the asphalt or, uh, of their driveway, gets it clear of the garage, has the wherewithal to close the garage door to try to contain the fire, calmly walks inside, grabs her baby sister and tells everybody there's a fire, gets them out of the house, gets them all to safety, and the 19-year-old girl walks back and turns on a water hose and starts spraying on the fire till the fire trucks get there. Which leaves us to ask this, this big question. What'd you do for Thanksgiving break? Right? I mean, like, what? I, mean, my, my, I can't even, like, I'm reading that news story, I'm going, my brain can't even figure, how all did that happen? I mean, that almost seems like, like movie storytelling. But she's been awarded... Uh, from her city, you know, these wars of heroism. She was on Ellen and things like that. You know, if you'd asked her two or three weeks before that moment, before that happened, when, when that was not an option, that was nowhere in her history, if you'd said, hey, Charlotte, are you a hero? She probably would have responded, no, right? I mean, if I asked you right now, today, in your regular everyday Sunday, are you a hero? You would probably respond like I would, <laughs> No, I'm just, I'm just an ordinary person. You know, maybe if, maybe if a moment came out, I don't know, maybe I would shine, maybe not, but I'm just an ordinary person. Now, if we reflect on what we talked about last week when we gathered, and if you missed it and you want to catch up on week one from this three-part series, it's on iTunes, it's on the Youth Ministry website. What we learned is this. We learned that we're anything but ordinary. Now, we may feel it, but theologically, we're not ordinary. And we looked at Old Testament stories. We, we journeyed from the Old Testament to the New Testament last week. We looked at the Old Testament stories of, of a guy that the Spirit of God, and that was, that was a key thing, the Spirit of God came onto him and activated his gifts of gold work, silver work, woodworking, working with stone to build a place of worship for God. And the Scripture says clearly that the Spirit came on him and he, he did all these things. And then we looked at 70 guys in the Old Testament. The Spirit of God, clearly said, came off some of it off of Moses and onto them so that they could lead well. We looked at the life of Saul, the king Saul, that for a moment the Spirit of God landed on him and he prophesied this spiritual gift was uh, exerted out in his life so that people would see, hey, there's something happening here. We saw all of these things. The Spirit of God came on people and changed them from ordinary to extraordinary. Then we fast forwarded a couple centuries 
And we read from the prophet Joel, who is looking into the future at his time. We're now living past that future. But he was looking into the future, and you remember what he said? He said, there's coming a time when the Spirit of God is going to fall on all people, men and women, servants and non-servants, all different people are going to have access to the same Spirit of God to come and empower their life, activate gifts so that they can join God in changing the world like he did individuals in the Old Testament. And then we closed out in Acts chapter 1 where Jesus, right before he ascended to heaven, said the same thing. He told the disciples, you stay put, the Spirit is coming, and once the Spirit is coming, you're going to go out and do incredible things. So we have that same spirit. So we're anything but ordinary. We may not feel it. We may not think that we're a spiritual hero, but the scripture says that we are. Now, I'm going to take you through a a couple of different uh, people here that have come about through history. The first one is Dwight L. Moody, and this is kind of small because I'm going to put several people up here. But Dwight L. Moody, or you might have heard of him, D.L. Moody, famous evangelist in the 1800s, preached to crowds on a regular basis of 20,000 people. Now, I mean, that, that guy has got a following, right? 20,000 people. Uh, if you've ever heard of Moody Bible Church, it's named after Dwight L. Moody or the Moody Bible Institute today. is named after this guy, one of the most phenomenal evangelists in the world. Well, one of the people that Dwight L. Moody led to Christ in, 19, in 1859 was F.B. Meyer. F.B. Meyer went on to be a pastor and evangelist, and he's written over 75 different books about the Bible and about faith and about Christianity. Well, one of the people that F.B. Meyer influenced was a guy named J.W. Chapman, led J.W. Chapman to Christ. Chapman became an evangelist, oversaw evangelism rallies all throughout the United States. Just one example of one of the rallies, so you know what we're talking about. We're not talking about like a, a small youth ministry disciple now. In one of those rallies, 8,000 people followed Christ, just one of those. And he did that through the course of his lifetime throughout the years. Chapman led a baseball player named Billy Sunday to Christ. Billy Sunday led evangelism crusades, and this is what one of the historians said about him. He attracted the largest crowds of any evangelist before the advent of electronic sound systems. So that means larger than 20,000 people. That, those are pretty influential people, right? Well, Billy Sunday was doing evangelism uh, crusades, And because he was doing those things, he invited a guy named Mordecai Ham, who's an evangelist, to speak. And Mordecai Ham preached the gospel, and a gentleman responded to the gospel when he's young. His name is Billy Graham. Billy Graham has seen over 3.2 million people respond to his gospel invitations. Now, take any one of those lives as a snapshot, and we would probably agree that those would be spiritual heroes, right? Right? I mean, I don't think anybody in here has written 75 books that have been mass-produced. In charge of an evangelism rally were 8,000 people. I mean, that was just one, say. Preached over 20,000 people. Most of us in here don't have 3.2 million people have responded to invitations that we gave. We look at these people, and we go, yes, they are not ordinary. Yes, I can see the Holy Spirit came on their life and has transformed them to do big things. But you know who we don't talk about? We don't talk about Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was a shoe shop assistant. Didn't own the shoe shop. He was a shoe shop assistant and a Sunday school teacher in Chicago who loved teenagers and loved children and would go out even onto the streets where they were playing and invite them to a Sunday school class. And it was in that Sunday school class 
that Dwight L. Moody met Jesus Christ. So we look at all these guys and we go, oh man, yes, those are spiritual heroes. Ah, the Holy Spirit's all over them. But the Holy Spirit was all over a shoe shop assistant who loved teenagers and invited them into his Bible study. And through his Bible study, a small group, probably smaller than the circle you're sitting in right now, quite literally changed the world because he was filled by the Holy Spirit and the gifts that God instilled in him were activated and the world was changed. I mean, that's pretty incredible. So here's a bold statement I'm gonna make to you. That God's equipped you and I to do greater things than Jesus. Does that make you feel uncomfortable? Let me be honest, it makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable to say that. To think that, that I say to you and suggest that you and I are gonna do greater things than Jesus. Now, here's why, even as uncomfortable it is for me to say that, I'm confident in it, because I want us to go to John chapter 14, and I want us to read a passage of Scripture that John, who walked with Jesus, one of the disciples, spent three years walking with him, listening to him teach, watching him do miracles. John recorded kind of his story with Jesus, and we have it in what we call the Gospel of John. So I want you to go to John chapter 14, verse 12. This is Jesus talking. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. See that? Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. This is what Jesus is saying. And greater works than these will he do. Because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus is the one who said, you know, I, I, I'm, moment of intimate honesty. I mean, I'm honest with you all the time, but I mean like just real, not hiding anything back. I, I don't feel comfortable with those, those verses. I don't feel comfortable, even though Jesus said that. Jesus said, you're gonna do greater works than me. In fact, I haven't heard a lot of people like, teach on those verses, and I think, I think it, that they seem so easily refutable, right? I mean, like, you go, I don't wanna teach you, how do I explain that? Because Jesus turned water into wine, and I haven't figured out how to get my sugar to dissolve in my tea without stirring it for 15 minutes, right? I mean, like, there's not greater things here. I'm stirring and stirring and stirring. Jesus fed thousands on multiple occasions, not just once, but at least twice, thousands of people with a couple loaves of bread here, some fish here. I can't feed my family without Chick-fil-A. And we're talking greater things. Jesus walked up to a tomb, told him, roll the stone away. He said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead, and if you knew how hard it was for me to simply get out of bed this morning, we wouldn't be talking greater things. So it's hard. I mean, we read these passages of Scripture and go, what, what does it mean? Now, some commentators say this. Some commentators say that when Jesus said greater things, he, he was talking about numerically, that we will and the disciples will do more works like he did because there's more of us. Now, that 
that makes that a little bit easier to swallow, right? I can get on board with that. I can go, okay, yeah, because Billy Graham got 3.2 million people in the family. 3.2 million of us doing just a little bit around the world. Maybe we can say greater things than Jesus just by sheer quantity. But what if Jesus, what if he meant both? Why don't you go back to that passage of Scripture, because here's, I want you to see this. I think this is really important. Verse 12, he starts off, and Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. Now, what that says to me is this. When Jesus says that we're going to do greater things, that was not a, a passing comment that John recorded. It wasn't Jesus like just being encouraging, you know, he did something really cool and the disciples were like, man, we wish we could do that. And Jesus said, hey, yeah, y'all are great. Y'all are going to do even better things than that one day. You know, punch you in the shoulder. Disciples, you're doing all right. It wasn't this passing comment. It's like Jesus says, truly, truly, this is like, hey, guys, pay attention. I got something that I want you to hear that's going to change the world. Truthfully, I'm going to give you truth. Let me have your attention. Focus in. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. Not a passing comment. Jesus has gathered the disciples' attention because he wants them to understand this. He intends one day down the road for John to write this down because this is, this is one of those key moments of teaching. This is one of those that when you're taking notes at a conference or something like that, when, when the, the speaker goes, hey, write this down. And you go, okay, here's a key point. When Jesus says, truly, truly, that was his write this down moment. Whoever believes in me. Well, maybe that's, maybe that's our greater things problem. Jesus, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. Maybe as believers, if you're like me and you feel uncomfortable thinking that I'm gonna do greater things than Jesus, maybe we need to back up a little bit and see the, the qualifier that Jesus puts on there. Whoever believes in me. And what does that mean? I mean, most of us in here would say, I believe in Jesus. I mean, I, I wouldn't even have to do one of those like close your eyes, we don't wanna embarrass anybody because I, I think probably 100% of the people would go, I believe in Jesus. If you didn't, believe in Jesus, you more than likely wouldn't be here on a Sunday morning. You'd be sleeping in. Right. But what does believe mean? Now, I'm scared of heights. Um, even on TV shows, like when somebody's like, if a TV show, if somebody's like walking along a ledge, like my, my legs start to tingle just watching the TV show. That's how scared of heights I am. Now, here's the crazy thing. I'm not scared of heights if I'm in close. So a roller coaster doesn't scare me because I'm locked in. Uh, flew to Hawaii over Thanksgiving. We in that plane. I can look out. <laughs> Does not bother me at all. I'm strapped in. I'm in a big enclosure. Um, if I go to Six Flags, you know that, that little, it's like a kid ride. It's like the swings that, that go around. There's on two flimsy chains and your seat belt's like just a little chain. Like that freaks me out because I don't feel safe and secure, right? And so people are like, you want to do the giant? Yeah. You want to do the rattler? Yeah. You want to do the swings? No. No, thank you. Or Six Flags Arlington. I mean, you guys, probably even, I think this right when we were growing up, that parachute thing, like, takes you up, drops you down. Like, heck no. Uh-uh. Uh-uh, uh-uh. No, because it's like, you can fall out of it. Like, they, they, don't even, they don't even strap you in. You just stand there. And I'm like, no. So that's what freaks me out. So I have a buddy named Ty Flippin. Lives, used to live in Georgetown, lives away now. He used to fly, and he flew planes like this, like, you know, the Cessna, just small planes that you'd find at the Georgetown airport. 
Now, I've already said when, when, when I fly quite a bit, four or five times a year. I mean, quite a bit for some of y'all. But I, I have no problems in an, air, I mean, in an airplane. But he has a plane like this, and there's a couple times when he's living here that he would fly me places. Uh, flew me to Dallas for a concert. Flew me, was going to fly me to a mission trip one time. I was running behind. Now, now this, to me, is a little bit different than the 747 for several reasons. One, the guy that, I just assume, and maybe I'm wrong, but I'm assuming that the guy in the 747, since he was wearing a fancy uniform when I walked onto the plane, knows what he's doing. I'm assuming that there's some industry standards that he has to qualify for and ongoing training. I'm assuming that what he does every day of his life as a career is fly planes. I make assumptions. What I know about my friend Ty is he is not a career pilot. He's in software sales. So when he comes to me and says, hey, do you want me to fly to Dallas in my little small plane that a bird might hit and kill us all? And I do this once every couple of weeks in a little, you know, little bitty plane that you can see out all around. You can't just pull the shade down if you wanted to. I'm a little bit more fearful. But if he asks me, hey, do you believe that it's safe for me to fly you to Dallas? I can say yes. Every one of us would go, yeah, I believe that, because you've got a pilot's license. But belief really happens when you get into the plane. That, that, that's what believe means. If he goes, hey, do you believe I can fly to Dallas and be safe? I go, yes, I believe. And he goes, get in then. And I go, pass. What I'm saying is I don't really believe. I've given you lip service, but my heart does not believe that this is safe. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, if, if you believe in me, if you're getting in the plane, you're gonna do the works that I do. If you jump on board and let me fly through some fearful things, you're gonna do greater things. Now, if you believe, if you really believe, you're, you're gonna have no problems leveraging your finances for the kingdom. That, that's not, that's not, that doesn't blow your mind. If you believe, you're not going to have any problems quitting a job or moving a job if the Spirit of God has called you to do that. Because even though it doesn't make sense, you go, I believe. If you believe and God says, hey, you need to end some toxic relationships. I'm not talking about marriage. Your marriage is toxic. You need to go to counseling. Friendships, work acquaintances, free time friends. If you've got some toxic relationships, that you just don't think you can move away from, but you know the Spirit of God is calling you to, if you believe, you do that. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, if you believe, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. Now skip on down to verse 16. Here's what else he says. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, capital H, to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of Truth, capital S. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. If you're confused by that and you go, man, I'm not real sure, look back in verse 26. Jesus says, but the Helper, capital H, and in the Greek word, it's the same word, paraclete. It's only used five times. John uses it four. So it's the same word that's, that's used just previously. Same Helper. He says, but the Helper, and then he, then he tells in the case we're wondering, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, that's who he's talking about, this paraclete, the Greek word, the Holy Spirit, 
is coming. The world can't receive him because it doesn't see him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you, a.k.a. Jesus, and will be in you. Jesus is setting up what he said again in Acts 1, what we saw yesterday. This just happens before. Jesus said, listen, when I leave, when I'm out of here, the Holy Spirit is going to come. The same Spirit that is me, God, Father, Jesus, the Son, Holy Spirit, Trinity, one God. When I leave, I'm going to come back in another form, the Holy Spirit. Now, how does that all work? I don't know. Very few people can explain that with, with any reasonable understanding. Part of that's because God is infinite and we're finite. Our brains just don't comprehend an infinite God. But Jesus said, I'm going to come back and the Spirit's going to come and I'm going to dwell in you. Now, all of a sudden, when I say we're going to do greater things, when I tie this back to what we talked about last week, knowing that the Spirit of God is coming to empower us, now all of a sudden I don't feel as uncomfortable saying I'm going to do greater things because here's what I just learned. It's not me who's going to do greater things. It's not Brett is better than Jesus. It's Brett, who has the Holy Spirit inside him, who has Jesus in him, is going to do greater things than Jesus did when he was here 2,000 years ago. So it's really not me. It's the same person. Jesus is going to do greater things than he did. Maybe that's because he's going to be here in ministry through me for longer than three-ish years before the cross. Maybe it's numerically. Maybe it's because Jesus and me for 15 years at First Baptist Georgetown is going to partner with the Jesus and you for 15 more years in Georgetown and the Jesus and you and partner with the Jesus and you and partner with the Jesus with you and partner with the Jesus and you and the Jesus and us collectively working together as the local church with all of the gifts, the spiritual gifts that that spirit has given us all working together is going to do some incredible things that would be much bigger and much greater than even if Jesus was just here by himself. I mean, is it possible that Jesus, in his mind, which you know what? I could, I could speak to 10,000 people right here on the hillside. But I'm going to leave after I speak to these 10,000 people and I feed them. I'm going to leave to go do something else. But I've got me inside some of my fellow believers that they don't have the opportunity to talk to 10,000 people but they have the opportunity to talk to 10 people. And lo and behold, there's a 1,000 of them just at that church right there at 1333 West University Avenue. Actually, there's more than a 1,000. So if each of them were talking to 10 people, greater things, let alone Main Street, Crestview, and Celebration, and First United Methodist, First Presbyterian, where the people of God are gathered, talking to 10 people, and not talking and then leaving, but in a continued relationship with those 30,000 people, or however many it is. Can you see greater things now? The Spirit of God in us together, with all of our gifts brought to the table, can do some pretty fantastic things. So here's what I want you to do. Last week, I told you, I was just giving you kind of one application. Try to give you different, different things usually. I said, hey, I just want you to start, start preparing yourself for 2018. Because in 2018, the goal, the desire, is, is that, that all of us are serving, that we're off the sidelines, that we're in the playing field, 
that we're using these gifts, bringing mine to the table, you're bringing yours to the table, and we are working together to, to, to change the world. We've got the Holy Spirit inside of us, the power of God to do those things. And so all I asked you to do for this, this past week was just to start thinking that direction. Start preparing yourself to say, okay, some things have got to change. I'm going to make some New Year's resolutions here in a few weeks possibly. And I'm going to make a resolution to get back into the gym, and I'm going to do that for nine days. I'm going to make a resolution to eat healthier. I'm going to do that for 14 days. I'm going to make a resolution to be a better parent to my kids, to be spiritual leaders, and, and we're going to do that all year long because we're going to keep working together on that. But maybe one of those things is, you know what, I'm going to figure out what my gift is or what my gifts are, and I'm going to engage them for the kingdom of God to be a world changer. And that can't be a resolution that ends halfway through January. We find that ministry and we start doing it. I was listening to some conversations last week as y'all were talking, and, and some of the conversations, people were talking about youth ministry. Let me tell you this, I'm not talking about youth ministry. If God's called you and gifted you to serve with teenagers, that's, that's fantastic. Can I, can I tell you something that really bothers me? Really bothers me. And it's going to change if I give my last breath to it. Do you know that right now, in our children's area, and in a little bit we'll have that extended session that we serve at in our children's area for a couple hours, we pay people, not, not everybody, we have paid childcare workers that are leading our children. That doesn't necessarily sound like a bad thing, but let me ask you this. If I came to you and said, hey, can I hire you to work on a Sunday morning from nine o'clock to 12.30, most of you would say no, because that's when we go to church. I don't know all of our childcare workers. I'm sure we have some childcare workers that are fantastic, that love the Lord, and this would not by any means be a blanket statement for all of them. But you know what I do know? Just because I know. We have some childcare workers that chose a job over worshiping in their local church, probably because worshiping in their local church isn't that important to them. It isn't on the highest priority. And again, I'm, I'm being a little judgmental and stereotypical. I'm, I'm painting a broad picture because I know there's probably at least one and we've taken our children and said, hey, you disciple them. I've been told, like from people in the know who've done church work for years, they go, listen, in church our size, it's impossible. It's impossible not to have paid childcare. You're gonna have to have it. Greater things. I'm supposed to believe, and I'm not talking about this class, I mean, just in our church, I'm supposed to believe in the 13 to 1,500 people that show up on a Sunday, that there's not 30, that God has called and gifted, equipped, and empowered to join some parents in discipling their babies, their two-year-olds, their four-year-olds, their six-year-olds. I just don't believe that's the God that I serve when I see all of the other things he does. I don't think God goes, you know what? I'm going to raise up missionaries and send them into China. I'm going to send them down the Amazon River to teach the gospel to, to people groups who have never heard the gospel before. But, ooh, two-year-olds in Georgetown, woo, now you're asking a little much from me, guys. So the, the question is, and again, I'm not, this is not a guilt trip. I'm not, if you're not called or equipped or gifted to serve with babies and children, please do not go there. 
because you'll be terrible at it. I have people all the time, they go, man, I don't know how you do youth ministry. Teenagers scare me. They don't scare me. I love them because that's what I've been called and gifted to do. But we have to find what you've been called and what you've been gifted to do, to go and serve the Lord and his kingdom and change the world. So I want you to hear, I'm not talking about, I'm not making a plea for youth ministry help. I'm not making a plea for children's ministry help. I'm making a plea that you discover your gift, that the Holy Spirit has come on you when you were saved, empowered you, and has been cultivating in you to join him in changing the world, not just so that the world will be changed, but so that you'll be changed. Because when you serve, and you find all that God created you to be, and you start unleashing those gifts, you start growing in a different way than you've ever grown before. So here's the application I'm going to ask for you this week. Last week was just to prepare yourself for that, for what's coming, 2018. And I'm telling you this, there, in 2018, I mean, let's be clear to you, we're not kicking off 2018 with like a, a call to ministry work. When this series ends in January, we're going to start a series about new life in Christ. I'm not, I'm not getting a sign-up sheet. I'm just, I'm just asking you to prepare now so that you and the Holy Spirit can make some decisions apart from me encouraging you to do it. I'm encouraging you now. When January rolls around, I just hope to see it. Again, I'm not, there's not going to be this campaign. Campaign's right now. Start thinking about it. So here's your application today. If God has called you to greater things, what do you dream that God might do in 2018? What big thing would you love to see Jesus do? Maybe it's a relationship that's going the opposite direction and you've been praying about it and you go, man, you have a big thing. I'd love to see God turn that relationship around and restore it. I'd love to see my marriage become healthier and intimate and more fulfilling and to be a picture to everybody of Jesus and his church and not what it is. Maybe you got some teenagers and their lives, they're not walking with the Lord and you go, you know what the big thing I want? The big thing that I'd love to see the Lord do is to turn my, my child's heart towards him. Maybe there's some financial things, that, some stewardship issues that you're wrestling with. Or, I, I don't know what big thing. And here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. We're gonna put just a song on, some music. There's a note card and a pen. I'd love for you to write down what that big thing is and put your name on it. Have a bucket up here and in the back. And on your way out, you can drop in that bucket. And I'm gonna commit, and maybe something comes of this, I don't know if other people, but that we start, that to start praying for you this year that God accomplishes those big things. And I'm probably gonna talk about some of those things. If it's private, I'm not gonna put your private business out there. You can feel safe in writing something private. If you go, hey, I'm struggling with marriage, I'm not gonna stand from the stage and go, hey, they need marriage help. Who wants to help them? Anyone, anyone, use your gifts. But if I know some people who have some gifts, I might approach you and go, hey, would you consider walking with this couple to let their gifts be used to do big things in your life while you use your, you use your gifts to do big things in their life? So I would love you to write your name down. Right, what is now, this may be too big for some of you. You may go, this, there's too much pressure. There's a song, and I know the song's ending in three minutes, and it, it's too much. That's fine. Come back and bring it later. If you don't even bring it to me, at least you're thinking about what big thing there is. So I'm give you a few minutes to write, play a song. I'm gonna come and close this out, and then we'll have a few minutes to talk as well. In the 1970s, Hillside started... Um, Somebody's had the idea of, hey, could we bring some canned goods up to the church in case people in our community kind of come by and need some food? And so 
they did that. It wasn't a food pantry or anything, just church members bringing up a handful of canned goods. They always had something to meet somebody's needs. Then in the year 2000, or right around there, they had a, a missions coordinator, and he said, you know what? We're seeing more of a need, more people coming for food. Let's do a food pantry. So they started a food pantry right about 2000. So for almost 20 years, this church in Decatur, Georgia, has been feeding the hungry. In almost 20 years, they've given away 800,000 pounds of food and fed 145,000 people. Now, here's the crazy thing. We were in Decatur, Georgia today, and we stopped at Hillside Presbyterian Church. When they gathered for worship, if everybody showed up at the same time, there'd be 80 people. They're all between the ages of 50 and 90. They're an aging church of 80 people. 80 people who fed 145,000 people. It's the work of God inside his people to feed more people than Jesus fed. So what if our student ministry, that if everybody showed up on a Sunday would be somewhere in between 250 and 300, and our parenting teen class, if everybody showed up on the same day, would probably be somewhere between 150 and 200. In our church, where if everybody showed up on the same day, I don't even know what would happen and what that would look like. What if we all had our gifts at the table and we're all believing Jesus for greater things? That's where we're headed.